I just want to say one more thing as, before we get into the message. Um, you know, just uh, at the end of a year, we always have our special offering and, uh, where we push the end of the year given. And um, I, I had a goal that we would give $25,000 to mission. And, um, and as I was kind of working through the past week and really praying about how we could help our mission partners, partners like, like Irvon and, 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 and other mission partners that we have. And, and I started saying, you know what? I want to give them a raise. For real. For, you know, the, the inflation that they're facing over there is just as real as we are right now. When they left to go to mission fields years ago, they raised an X amount of dollars. And then they're over in the other side of the world, and, and they don't come back very often. To, to, and when they do come back, they don't really have the time to go back to the church and say, hey, you know what you gave? You know, in fact, some churches, you know, they, they lose some support, you know, due to different things, different circumstances. And so, in fact, there's, there's one particular missionary that I know that, you know, it's $10,000 you know, behind, and, you know, underwater. He can't, he can't even do insurance. He and his wife have to drop their insurance coverage because inflation is just hitting them hard. And, and, and I thought, man, God, how can we as a church help that missionary and other missionaries and, and, and lift them up? Do what we as a church, do what we can do that other churches might not be able to. And, and I feel like we have a solemn responsibility to help our mission partners. They represent us going out into different parts of the world. And, uh, and so be praying about what that is. And so that 25,000 is almost $30,000. Uh, it says in the program, 25, $30,000. And I believe that this church can do it. You know, I believe that God will bless a church when they are generous in the way that they give. And so be praying about how you can do a little extra by the end of this year mission here and our end of the year offering. Be praying about how you can be involved with that. Listen, I'm going I'm to be writing a check with or without you. We may, we may go in a hole, but guess what? I know that God will bless the church and we'll take, he'll take care of us. I'm not worried about late point church. God will take care of us. But I also know that I'm going to step out in faith and I believe that the church has always, has always, has always answered the call to stepping up and I believe that this will be no different than any time past. And uh, you guys have always been amazing. So thank you in advance for what we're going to see God and what God is going to do right here in our, in our, in, in, through you and in you as we be a blessing to our mission partners that they go out in the dark parts of our world. And that's what we're talking about a little bit today, the darkness. We're, we're, we're finishing up a message I just said, I'm doing a theory, but last week I started the message, and I only got halfway through it, and I want to finish this up, and uh, it's called Titans of Comfort and Joy. Titans of Comfort and Joy, and we talk about that darkness, that, the darkness that's around us. You know, last week I talked about bad news and worse news. If you missed last Sunday, you've got to watch last week, you can, you'll hear about the bad news, worst news story. I, I want to open up with a good news, bad news story, you know, the good news and bad news. 
And this is for real. This is not a joke. Last week was a joke. You know, today is a real thing. And um, good news and bad news. Good news, you know, for most of you, if you've been around me, you've noticed that I've been extra hard of hearing lately, and that's because one of my hearing aids broken, and the other one's on its last leg. I'm supposed to get new hearing aids very soon. It's been this whole process, it's been a journey, and this whole thing, and, uh, and it's finally getting close. And, uh, and, and uh, in fact, they called me Wednesday. Here's the good news. They called me last Wednesday on my birthday. I thought, man, this is perfect. I said, hey, Scott, your hearing aid finally came in. I said, yes, I need it so bad. I said, you know, I, I, I'll drop anything and everything I got going on today, and I'll go pick it up. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this is where the bad news kicks in. <laughs> you got to make an appointment. I said, okay, well, make an appointment tomorrow. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm dying here. Let's go. And I said, well, you can't tomorrow. How about, you know, uh, what, what did the 18th look like for you? I said, the 18th, that's in a week and a half. That's the, well, that's the soonest we can get you in. Are, are you kidding me? So the bad news is I won't be able to hear anybody for another week and a half. And, and uh, so, uh, honestly, it's not so bad for me. It's more bad for, for my wife, Karen. And, um, but we'll, we'll make it. We'll make it. And, um, but listen, you know, bad news. But some of you are facing real bad news. You're, you're, you're going through some dark stuff. In fact, the world is full of darkness. And we said last week, when the darkness, when the darkness is the deepest, that's when the light shines the brightest. And at Christmas time, I believe that the light of Jesus shines the brightest in the, in the backdrop of a very, very dark world. We saw the, the birth announcement in Luke chapter 2. And I love, I love the birth announcement. So the birth announcement was given not to royalties, not to the upper society of Jerusalem. You know, it didn't go to Rome to the emperor and to the, to the, you know, to the senate of Rome. The birth announcement by the angels showed up in the middle of the night outside the little town of Bethlehem to a bunch of shepherds. Some of these shepherds, they're probably, some of these shepherds were probably on the run. They're, they're trying to keep a low profile. You know, they're fugitives. You know, some of them, they, they, this is what they live. This is, they, their dad was a shepherd, their great-granddaddy the shepherd. This was their life. Shepherds were not even considered, they couldn't even worship in the temple because they were unclean because of being around animals. And so they would, they would, they would take care of sheep that were being used for the sacrifice, the sacrifices in the temple, and that, they couldn't even go to the temple to have their own sacrifice. I mean, here they are. They're, they're, no one's looking. An angel shows up. An angel said to them in verse number 10, he, he said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, good news, the good news, of great joy, which will be to all people, all people, everybody. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
angel said, I bring you good news, good tidings for our people. And the good news of Jesus is available to everybody. And we see that so beautifully played out in the book of Matthew. In Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, and we saw last week, I read the very first 17 verses. And the very first 17 verses, it's the genealogy of Jesus. And it was quite a tough read last week. Some of you were dozing off a little bit. Some of you were checking out future baby names. You, know, you were reading <laughs> these names, and, and you were checking them out. In fact, I had one um, family member came up to me afterwards and said, hey, and actually sent me a picture of their family member, one of their family members, that they named that family member Zerubbabel. That's one of the names of the Zerubbabel. And here's a picture. That's the family member right there. Zerubbabel. You know, I met another person. Um, I mentioned it last week, I think, in this service. They said they knew someone that named their kid Zadok. Uh, bad ideas, okay? Uh, so, but the genealogy of Jesus, when we look at those 17 verses, the genealogy of Jesus is everything you and I need to know about Christianity. Uh, so what can we learn from, those, from the genealogy? And last week, we, looked, we said that the gospel is not good advice, it's good news. It's the good news of Jesus. You know, the core, the, the core of Christianity, it's not a set of principles and teachings of Jesus. It, 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 it's what Jesus did. That's the core of Christianity. It's the, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about this in his letter of 1 Corinthians. He said, if Jesus did not have a resurrection, if he just died and stayed dead, then we're just wasting our time. We're just wasting our time. All we have is good advice. But because he rose again, we have good news. We have the gospel. And so the gospel means an announcement of good news. And the most important thing about the gospel is that it must be believed and received just like a gift. That's the most important thing for you and I this morning, is to believe it and to receive it. We also said about the genealogy is that Jesus is the center of history. It's the center of history. It's interesting to me that Matthew, you know, has a genealogy, genealogy here in this family line, and in the world of that time, nobody's paying attention to this family line. In fact, it's insignificant. You know, the Roman powers, the people in Rome, they don't care about what's going on in, in the middle of the Middle East. They don't care what's going on in this line. They're not, they're not paying attention to this line. And yet, in the middle of all this, in the middle of nowhere, God was doing something that seems insignificant. God was doing his greatest work right there in the middle of it. God was at work. He was working. And so Jesus is the center of history, and that reminds us that when you feel like your life is falling apart, you feel like your life is feeling insignificant, that God is doing his greatest work in your life, even at this moment today. That's what the genealogy, that's what we see. But here's the third thing this morning. What else can we learn about the genealogy of Jesus? It's that God is working 
in all things, good and bad, for his purposes. That God is at work. And we need to consider some of the messy, uh, random, chaotic stuff that's in this list of the genealogy. Some of the random, messy stuff. In Matthew chapter 1, verse number 3, we, 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 we see the story here. Judah, the father, now Judah, by the way, Judah was one of the sons of, of, of Jacob. Jacob had, you know, we know he had 12 sons at least. And uh, remember, he had a boy named Joseph. Joseph with the, with the, with the coat of many colors. Uh, Judah, the older brother. Uh, and so Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, it's interesting here that he included in this verse the mother's name. In most genealogies, they, they never include, they never included woman's name in the in Jewish genealogies. But Matthew put that in there to call to mind the story behind the story. But by the way, if you if you got a young kid, this might be a good time to take him out for a party break. Get this little scandalous right here with Tamar. A little scandalous. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Let me give you the PG-13 version of it, okay? Tamar was a wife of one of Judah's sons. Judah had three sons. And her husband, the oldest husband, the oldest of the son, I'm sorry, the oldest of the three sons, no, Tamar's husband, he died unexpectedly. And they didn't have kids. And because there were no kids, and in those days, if, if, a, if a man dies, and leaves his wife without kids, and with the obligation of the next brother to marry her and to give her children. That was the obligation in those days. And so the brother was named Onan. And, and, and he really didn't want to take her as his wife. He didn't really like her that much, you know, but he had to. And so he, he, he took her and, and didn't want to have any kids with her because, you know, Kids are expensive, right, I guess, you know? And so, uh, <laughs> and so he didn't like Tamar, and so whenever they came together, Onan made sure that he didn't quite seal the deal. <laughs> That's the PG-13 part. God, God wasn't pleased with this either, right? This was, you know, God wasn't pleased with what Onan did, and, and so he killed Onan. And so now Judah is two sons down, he got one left. And, 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 and legally speaking, Tamar was supposed to be given to that third son. His name was, his name was Shelah. Uh, and at this point, Judah starts feeling like Tamar is a little cursed. And so he, he doesn't want to lose his last son. So he kind of stalls for years. It kind of put him, you know, he's not old enough. You know, he's not ready for you. You know, all the, all the things he's trying to, he's trying to, delay the inevitable. And so years and years and years go by, and, and Tamar kind of figures out, and says, you know what, um, Judah, my father-in-law, is never going to let me marry her son, marry his son, it's not gonna happen. And so he decided to come up with a plan. It turns out that Judah, 
her, you know, was, had, had a weakness for prostitutes. And so Tamar dressed up like a prostitute, seduced Judah, and gets pregnant with Perez and Zerah. Judah had no idea. He had no idea that it was for Tamar. Three months later, Tamar starts to show. And Judah was furious. He said, you had broke the law. Uh, we, get to, we get to stone you for breaking the Levitical law. And, and they start dragging her out, out of the city to stone her. And while they're doing that, she says, she pulls up the belt. Tamar says, I've got the belt of the man whose babies these belong. And Judah sees that belt and says, oop. That's my belt. <laughs> they got a little awkward. Can you imagine Thanksgiving dinner? Awkwardness. And, and, and listen, this is messy. Messy stuff. And yet in all of this, God was working, bringing about his perfect plan. And he's working in your life too. Even, even when he seems absent, if you're taking notes. He is working in your life even when he seems silent. He said, my, my life is a mess. God, my life is falling apart. And I feel like God is nowhere close by. God, you're there. He may seem, he may seem like he's quiet, but God is at work. And whatever is your mess, whatever that looks like, understand that God has one overriding purpose in your life. And that one overriding purpose in your life is to accomplish Jesus' purposes in and through you. And he's working in all things. He's working in the darkest part of your life. And he's going to bring it to pass. He takes the chaotic mess of your life and he turns it into good. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things, by the way, the word all things, it means the good part, the bad part, and the ugly part. And all things, God works for the good. He is working for the good, for those who love him, to those who've been called according to his purpose. God is working in your life to bring to pass for his good, for his purpose. And so in the middle of your mess, whatever that is, know that God is at work. It's baking season right now. People are baking cookies. They're baking all kinds of good stuff. You bake it, some, people bake food cakes around here? No, I hope, I hope not. You know, maybe, maybe you like it. I don't know. It, it's baking season. People like to bake their cookies. My kids had a cookie party last night. And, you know, and it wasn't at my house. So it wasn't a mess. It wasn't my mess, you know. So they just love, it, it, it's that time of the year. And you think about all the different parts that goes in. You've got the, the flour. You can't eat flour by itself, right? You can't do that. You, 
raw eggs, unless you're rocky, you know. Rocky like to eat that egg by himself. I was gross, you know. You watch that, it's, oh man, you know. It, you know, maybe you do that, but not me. I like mine scrambled and cooked well, okay. And then, uh, and then you got the different part. You got the sugar. Hey, that's the good part, you know. <laughs> you know, not the healthy part, but the good part. You know, we can eat sugar. You know, um, I like sugar in my coffee. You know, uh, maybe maybe a little coffee with my sugar sometimes. And uh, so, you know, so there's good parts, and this part by itself is not so good. But when you put it together, it comes out into that good-looking cookie. It comes out the way it should. And God, and listen, God is taking the bad part. He's taking the, the, the part that's not so good, taking the good parts, and he's pointing out God is doing something. And in this season, it'll come out. It will come out. Here's the fourth. As we think about the genealogy and what it does for us, it reminds us that it is for, that the gospel is for the outsiders. Now, for a Jewish person, their genealogy was like a resume. Your heritage was how you showed the world your worth. And so back then, and even in some cases even today, genealogies or their resumes uh, were sometimes fudge to put them in the best light possible. I mean, think about all the kings back in those days and emperors, powerful people. They would have their genealogy and if there was something that was a little out of character, they would they would, they would make sure that the historians would erase that part of the line. Because they wanted to show everybody in their genealogy, like King Herod, they wanted to show everybody in his, his genealogy that they were awesome people, that he came from a line of sheer awesomeness. He wanted to show his worth to everybody. I told you last week, I'm, I'm not a fan of, you know, the online genealogy. You can, you can really uncover some stuff. You know, now I know some good things about my genealogy. My dad, you know, he, he tells me a little bit about some of things. I've got a, I got a, a, a person in my family line that was a signer, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Now, if you would have asked me, someone asked me their name already, I'd say, I don't know. I just know I got a signer, you know, someone in my family that did that, okay? It wasn't one of those big-named autographs. It was one of those little, small, tiny autographs on the bottom, okay? <laughs> you know? But still, hey, that's kind of cool. I've got, I got one of those. You know, however, I've got some people that I, I, I you know, in my family line, well, that's a little shady, you know? I've got some people, you know, uh, that, were, that went to jail back in the days for um, producing some counterfeit money. You know, I, I've, got some, I've got someone that, you know, was involved in illegal moonshining. Uh, I've got some family still in Tennessee and Kentucky, and it's a little, you know, I'm not sure what they're up to nowadays, you know. I don't want to know what they're up to nowadays. Uh, so I, listen, I got things in my family that I'm not so crazy about. And, and, and you're not likely to hear me brag about those. You're not likely to hear me brag about, you know, the guy that killed a sheriff's 
sun over a bottle of moonshine. By the way, true story. That's in my family. You don't, want, you don't hear me bragging about that. I don't want to talk about that. That's a crazy story, 100 years ago. Nuts. So it's genealogy, right? It's like a resume, and, the, and kings like Herod would only list people in their genealogy who would establish their worth. But when we look at Jesus, we see that he included some people in his genealogy. Tamar, we talk about Tamar in verse 3. A messy. I mean, King Herod wouldn't have allowed Tamar to even come close to the genealogy. But Jesus included it. And in verse number 5, he included the name Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. And God used Rahab to save a couple of spies and save Rahab's life because she hid. She put her life on the line. They hid a couple of spies from Joshua's army before the wall of Jericho came down. Rahab is in Jesus' genealogy. In verse uh, uh, 5, we also see a name, Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She wasn't even a Jewish person. And all, all, all these women, they weren't considered important. By, women in general wasn't considered, weren't considered important in these days. And yet they're included in Jesus' genealogy. And, and, the, and the name, the women that were listed in Jesus' genealogy, they're not even respectable women. They're, 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 they're and every woman listed in here was involved in some type of sexual scandal. I mean, verse 6, we, we see David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, mom, was Bathsheba. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know who Bathsheba is. And Uriah... That was one of David's best friends. But he had eyes for his wife, committed adultery. She became pregnant. He had to cover up this whole thing, so he decided he would just rub out Uriah, took care of business, had Uriah killed. Messy. And, and, and so Jesus' family line, if you're taking notes, it's filled, it's filled with more outsiders imperfect people. They're filled with ethnic outsiders, Gentiles, and they weren't all Jewish people. It wasn't clean. It wasn't a squeaky clean list of names here. Gender outsiders. They had women. And, and, and listen, this is why this is so important. This is why this is important to you. It's that Jesus, he came for the outcast. He came for all of us. Jesus was not ashamed to identify with the outsiders, with the outcasts, and to make them a part of his family. And so we've seen in that genealogy, we see Abraham and King David. They're mentioned in the same list as the prostitute Rahab. 
Because at the end of the day, in the Christ Jesus, we all stand equal at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter who you are. Whether you're, whether you're a prostitute like Rahab or a king like King David, it doesn't matter what part of the spectrum you are with your personal self-worth. It doesn't matter because we are all sinners. Standing equal at the foot of the cross. You see, this message for all of us is this. That every one of you matters to God. We all matter. And that God meets you and I in the middle of our mess. Whatever mess you have, God is doing his greatest work in the middle of it. It means that no matter who you are or what you've done, if you're here this morning, you feel like you've got a path that you can't shake off. Listen, there's room in his family for you. You may feel like an outcast, but you're not. In fact, Jesus has brought you close. You may feel worthless, but Jesus had purchased you with the universe's most valuable possession, his blood. You, you might think that God's plans for you are over, but the genealogy of Jesus shows you that he's only just begun. God was at work in the ugliest of situations, bringing forth his most beautiful, beautiful son. In Christ, God takes the ugliness of your life. He takes the ugliness of my life and redeems it for the beauty of his glory. And this is the good news. That God can take your mess and you can turn it into a message. The message is that only God can change a person's life from the inside out. You know what that means? See, there's a thought that I have, a conversation with, I have with a lot of people. But Scott, before I can come to Jesus, I gotta clean up my own mess. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, that you can't clean up your own mess. Because the more that you try, the messier it gets. But Jesus came so that he could take care of your mess. All you have to do is give him your mess. All you have to do is give him your mess and let him have it. Now claim you from the inside out. What's so awesome about Christmas is that the Christmas story is for everyone. Jesus is all you need. Nothing more, nothing less. Now this past week, uh, uh, my kids, Nathan and Abigail. Abigail, 10, Nathan, 16, and I, and I drive to school. 
listen to Christmas music and Abigail was like, Dad, can we listen to some country Christmas? <laughs> now blame all that on Karen. She's a southern girl and used to like country music. I said, all right, let's find some country Christmas. So we got a little bit of, you know, country going on Hall Road, you know. The only thing I'm missing is a pickup truck. <laughs> We're listening, you know, music randomly playing on my Apple radio, and, and all of a sudden, um, I mean, we're going old school. Old school. An old Hank Williams popped up. Now, I'm not talking about Hank William, Hank William Jr. I'm talking about old Hank William. Got a picture of Hank Williams up here. I mean, he was back in the 40s. He was the man. He had transformed country music. In his short life, he had 55 singles that made it in the top 10 country music charts. It's the first person to ever be inducted in the Country Music Hall of Fame. He wrote a lot of songs, a lot of songs that he wrote, and also wrote songs, gospel songs. In fact, one of his most famous gospel songs was, I Saw the Light. I Saw the Light. The chorus says, I saw the light, I saw the light. He said, no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. The sad story about Hank was he only lived to 29 years old. Life was cut short with the abuse of, 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 of drugs and alcohol. He had a medical condition. He was just constantly, constantly fighting the pain. And it just took him down a very dark path. And yet he was singing this song, I saw the light, I saw the light. And right towards the end of his life, he was out on a concert, and they closed out almost all of his concerts with this song. It was like the final encore, and he would come out. They would bring all the other band members out and the other country music group that was the kind of thing before him. They would all come out, and they would start singing the song, I Saw the Light. Everyone singing out, I Saw the Light. I saw the light. And in the middle of that song, Hank Williams started crying. The crowd didn't really pick up on it. But one of the other music, country music artists, her name was Minnie Pearl. Minnie's like, Hank, you okay? Hank just started crying. And he looked at Manny and said, Manny, 
There ain't no life. There ain't no life. They walk off the platform. I could have finished the song. So many people in this world feel like Hank Williams. Their life is dark. And they're missing the true light. You see, the light shines the brightest when the darkness is at its deepest. There are so many people in our world, even today, it's the Christmas season. We do a good job in our American, in our, in our culture everywhere, around the world, celebrating the season, but missing the Savior. There is a light. His name is Jesus. If you're here this morning, you're feeling dark, you're feeling like it's chaotic, you feel like there's no hope, there is a light. Don't fall to the fate of Hank Williams and miss it. There is a light. And you want to bring rest, comfort, and joy, and peace into your life. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all those who have burden and I will give you rest for your soul the light as some of you here today you see the light you hear about the light I want you to know that light died on the cross for you all you have to do is believe it and receive it into your life. Perhaps today, your next step is to receive the light. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. But God, please help us today. I pray that you help all of us here this morning to not miss the light. God, help us to believe it and to receive it. In the Christmas season, help us not to miss the reason that you came, that you died, buried, rose again, the good news, so that we could have a new life that you can come into our mess and turn it around. And God, if there's someone here today that don't know you, if there's someone today that never received that light, God, I pray that today they do not leave until they have a conversation with me, one of our pastors, one of our prayer partners, one of our prayer leaders, whoever it might be, God, I pray that they come and talk to someone about how they can receive the light. And may 2023 Christmas be the greatest Christmas of their life. Because for the first time, they understood 
that you came for everyone, including him or her. And so, God, we thank you for the light. God, I pray that you shine that light bright in all the corners of the world, that the gospel will continue to shine, shine, and shine. In Jesus' name, amen.